At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. And welcome to a special and different show of sorts. Kinda. One of the suggestions I've had for years from listeners is to do a sort of bundle intro show. You might call it a uh, greatest disco hits of intros. And this is what you're getting in this, you might say, holiday season as a holiday gift. I know some of you are probably right now running towards the bathtub with a toaster because of my intros and the reaction it gets, but even if you are not a fan of the intros, I think you'll find a lot of rewarding content in this uh, bundle intros of about 10 or so. Some of the topics include who are the Archons, did the Gnostics believe in reincarnation? Why this is the age of Hermes? What is Gnosis and what is Gnosticism? So a lot of cool, educational, stuffy stuff for ya. And either way, I think you'll enjoy it. Whether you're listening on a video platform or you are listening on audio. Another thing other viewers have told me throughout the years is that Aeon Bide could be about a hundred times more popular if I didn't do the intros. And I think they're right. But the my idea with the intros and the virtual Alexandria itself is that it was a sort of mystery religion experience. It was an initiation. And that's what my intros are all about. They are my sermon. They are a Gnostic expression from my soul. And uh, they are something, they are a sound or ritual that gets you ready for the guests and uh, hopefully uh, opens the channels of communications to a higher state of consciousness and what is beyond. And listeners have told me that's exactly what they've gotten. So, and it also proves that I never did a um, bite for the fame, the internet cred. I did it because something called me to do it, and that's the way it should be done. And the show is more popular than ever in these, yeah, in this age of Hermes, this, these Gnostic times, and this Philip K. Dick world. These videos were done by yours truly, and my uh, curve into doing video content and video graph engineering and so forth. But some of the videos were done by listeners and volunteers, and they did excellent work with some very evocative graphics that fit the theme of each of the intros that you are about to see. So I hope you enjoy it. I'll make this intro, this drivel short and sweet, and here they are. I don't really know what to call them, but let's call them uh, the Gnostic Intro's Greatest Hits.
or disco hits, whatever you want to call them. But please enjoy. And like I always say, thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. You're going to do so many wonders because that is your inheritance and that is your true deepest potential. What is Gnosticism? It's from Roloff van den Broek, from his work entitled Gnosticism. He explains that the Gnostic religion is understood as a phenomenon that flourished in the great myths of the 2nd and 3rd century, which spread across the Middle East and Roman Empire, up to the Far East. Van den Broek enumerates four typical features of Gnosticism. 1. A distinction is made between the highest unknown God and the imperfect or plainly evil creator God who is often identified with the God of the Bible. 2. This is often connected with an extensive description of the divine world, or pleroma, from which the essential core of human beings derives, and of a disastrous fall of a divine being, Sophia or Wisdom, in this upper world. 3. As a result, humankind has become entrapped in the earthly condition of oblivion and death, from which it is saved by the revelation of Gnosis, by one or more heavenly messengers. 4. Salvation is often actualized and celebrated in rituals that are performed within the Gnostic community. Or we can take the simple definition of Andrew Philip Smith from his book, John the Baptist and the Gnostics. It goes, stuff like what the ancient Gnostics used to do. I should mention that an important component of Gnosticism, and certainly Gnosis, is gratitude. And you can certainly find it aplenty in the Nag Hammadi library and hermetic texts. In many hymns and prayers, even in the surly Asethian gospel. The truth of this universe is horror, but this also comes with awe, for there is a knowledge of higher realities, and that something can be done to rescue the light from the darkness of mere being. There's no reason one can't hold awe and horror at the same time in one's mind, and they're probably overlapping feelings when you think about it. Let us end with the prayer of thanksgiving from the Nag Hammadi Library. We give thanks to you. Every soul and heart is lifted up to you. Undisturbed name, honored with the name, quote, God, and praised with the name, quote, Father. For to everyone and everything comes the fatherly kindness and affection of love, and any teaching there may be that is sweet and plain giving us mind, speech, and knowledge. Mind, so that we may understand you. Speech, so that we may expound you. Knowledge, so that we may know you. We rejoice, having been illuminated by your knowledge. We rejoice because you have shown us yourself. We rejoice because while we are in the body, you have made us divine through your knowledge. the gods.
I do not know whether the gods are faces that we give to that which is faceless in order to comprehend it and be close to it as human beings. If they are manifestations of distinct powers arising from an unknowable immensity or supreme reality or a oneness. If they are mediators or messengers between us and the God who is beyond comprehension. If they are aspects of nature and the world personified. If they are archetypes or forces of consciousness both within and without man. Or if they are at the highest human expression of being beyond mortality. Perhaps they are a combination of all of the above. What I do know is that the gods are mysteries and that we as human beings are ultimately drawn to them. And I know that they respond if one calls out to them. In times when the shrouds between worlds are temporarily unveiled, when our universe expands, they make themselves manifest. For this to happen, one has to live poetically and live strongly. One has to live a life of great deeds, of overcoming, a life worthy of divine attention. One has to boldly face great sorrow and greater joy, for the gods have no interest in dull normalcy. Infinite divinities await, hidden within man himself, which is always the place of the final pilgrimage. The godlight becomes living reality when dreams intersect with the waking world. These are knife-edge moments when the mythic cuts through the temporal to reveal the timeless, where the spirit is elevated to its superior states, where the poetic takes flight over the rational. In moments such as these, the gods awaken and reclaim their seat in the soul. We can hear them when we call out for them, in the crash of thunder and in the whisper of rustling leaves in the creak of frosted towering evergreens and in the roar of waves, in the solemn song of eternal dawn and in the ecstatic cries of battle and love. And we wait for the furor of their return. Burn, baby, burn. The gods are coming. Free your mind. What is he doing? He's beginning to believe. Welcome to Planet Earth. Let me quote a wonderful poem by Caitlin Johnstone, who, like John Lennon, might be a cryptognostic, but for sure she knows that modern religion and spirituality should be approached first and foremost as art that a psycho-spirituality is the way to face the horror of existence and embrace the transcendent. The poem is called, Welcome to Planet Earth. Welcome to Planet Earth, where books written by dead men tell the living how to live. Where children who do not know how to live teach their children how to live where children pray for miracles using minds that are made of miracles, with clasped hands that are made of miracles, where children wander in search of God upon feet that are made of God, looking with the eyes that are made of God, 
where giant brain monsters swim the seas and we fill their bellies with plastic while searching for stars for aliens. Where poison blackens the air and the water because all need jobs to stay alive. Where we can't stop dropping bombs on children because it's somebody's job to make those bombs. Where thunderous beauty is overlooked and paved over with a parking lot for a shop that helps women feel beautiful. Welcome to planet Earth, full of elephant tears and whale bones, of metal beasts and flesh machines, of forest graveyards and bulldoze dreams, of vagrant witches and shopping cart saints, of sprouting seeds and unrecognized potential, of unanswered questions and pregnant suspense. Welcome to planet Earth, where you haven't yet figured out that we are home. This planet is dying. The human race is killing it. So you've come here to help us? No. You said you came to save us. I said I came to save the Earth. You came to save the Earth. From us. Or as Egyptian writer Nagweeb Mafos wrote, Home is not where you are born. Home is where all your attempts to escape cease. Maybe home is somewhere else. Maybe somewhere else is bringing that home into your heart. Through that wonderful art, each one of us has the ability to unleash. Hey, Gnosticism is endless speculation in a world that, yes, has lost hope and must lean on imagination. God, or how I learned to stop worrying and love the dark archetype. We're crazy, but we're not wrong. We're done with entertainment because it makes us machines, and we want ecstasy that connects us to greater things and the best version of ourselves. I am not a number. I am a free man. And it's not easy here in the battlefield of the True Seeker Warrior, as new revelations are downloaded from the Eternal Realm. For example, I mentioned Tyler Durden at the beginning. In an old mythology, he was the higher self, the daemon or Gnostic revealer. But then Chuck Palahniuk released the sequel to Fight Club, and we find out that Tyler Durden is actually the mental virus manifestation of that dark archetype Jung wrote about to Bill W. That essence of destruction for its own sake that just doesn't permeate the universe, but is the chief building block of the universe. This is the new mythology. I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. It makes sense, you see. Violence is the ruling force of the cosmos. From the tearing of a star to make planets to the eternal war of black and red ants that shows military tactics matching that of Roman centurions. 
The flight of the bee to pollinate a flower is the same as the victim stalking of the serial killer. And the circle of life is really a circle jerk of carnage. Look, Simba. Call it Shiva. Call it Sebek. Call it destruction of Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. Or call it Odin and his two-man grift. Call it harmonious fucking creation if you want. It paradoxically fuels and feeds off all the galaxies. It's sentient and it's Tyler Durden. And the elite of human history worship it to gain endless entertainment with no need for the responsibility of true ecstasy. As Stefan Heller said, the first sound of the universe wasn't om, but munch, munch, munch. Every living entity relies on the death and suffering of another living entity to continue. Look, Simba. And the elite gets so addicted to that energy, that entertainment. This dark archetype appears as the demiurgic judge in Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian. Considered the great American novel that happens also to be the great modern Gnostic gospel. In one scene, the judge tells the Gnostic Jesus figure and his archons this. It makes no difference what men think of war. War endures. As well ask men what they think of stone. War was always here. Before man was, war waited for him. The ultimate trade awaiting its ultimate practitioner. That is the way it was and will be. That way and not some other way. War is the ultimate game. Because war is at last a forcing of the unity of existence. War is God. In our culture, the dark archetype manifests as the military-industrial complex, the true ruler of the West. It feeds souls and blood and undiluted suffering to that dark archetype. It's vast and endless, a network of children killing drones and drug pipelines and sex slave trafficking. It wiped out John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., John Lennon, and so many others who were sick of entertainment. It's vast and endless, and for us to have any chance to help the least of our brothers, we have to stop it. We can't fight it because to fight the empire is to be infected by its derangement. No. We must starve it, and we must create better worlds and possibilities than that of the creator gods and their butt slaves in the establishment. We must reject entertainment that keeps us in the game, in the machine, and fight for that ecstasy. Simple as that. Are you with me? Don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men. 
machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. It's possible to win if we continue to speculate on our myth, magic, and meaning. There are endless possibilities, and astral guests like Nicholas Laos provide them every week on AM Byte. Are you with me? I'm with you. Let us starve the dark archetype. We are all crazy. Very few of us here are actually mentally ill. I'm not saying you're not mentally ill. For all I know, you're crazy as a loon. But that's not why you're here. That's not why you're here. It's not why you're here. You're here because of the system. There's the television. It's all right there. All right there. Look, listen, Neil, pray. Commercials. Not productive anymore. It needs to make things anymore. It's all automated. What are we for then? We're consumers. Ah, okay, okay. Buy a lot of stuff. You're a good citizen. But if you don't buy a lot of stuff, if you don't, what are you then? I ask you. What? Mentally ill. Back, Jim. Back. If you don't buy things, toilet paper, new cars, computerized blenders, electrically operated sexual devices, serial systems with brain implanted headphones, screwdrivers, miniature built in radar devices, voice activated computers. Told you. And all the doors are locked, too. Huh? They're protecting the people on the outside from us when the people on the outside are as crazy as us. Do you know what crazy is? Crazy is majority rules. Yeah. Uh. There's no right, there's no wrong, there's only popular opinion. I'm not crazy. Of course not. Of course not. You want to escape, right? That's very sane. That's very sane. Then why don't you? Why don't I try to escape? That's what you're going to ask me, right? Good question. Very good question. Intelligent. Because I would be crazy to escape. I have sent out word. I am all taken care of. Nope. That's not Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden in Fight Club. But Brad Pitt as Jeffrey Goines in 12 Monkeys. Directed by Terry Gilliam. Another one of those Gnostic-themed films from the late 90s. Part of that Gen X artistic warning few listen to about the impeding Gnostic nightmare and Philip K. Dick world that came true in the third millennium. Few listened, and here we are, at the end of the world and the end of human imagination. We have been lulled into a trance. They have made us indifferent to ourselves, to others. We are focused only on our own game. Like Jeffrey and the Bruce Willis character in 12 Monkeys. They now call us insane and conspiracy theorists and dangerous misfits. They call the Gnostics these very things 2,000 years ago and across history. And along with the witch and the mystic, they burned them in so many ways. 
and they're trying to burn us today. Those of us who listen and have awakened and stand in the battlefield of the true seeker warrior. With hordes of egregores and archons and alien robots named Pandora bearing down upon us. The world will know that few stood against many. Well, fuck you and eat cracking shit. All you respectable people. All you societal potentates wanting us to drink your transhumanism Kool-Aid and digital utopia dog food. Until we become machines. All that he was, I am. His experience, his knowledge. But not his wisdom. He may have programmed you, but he could not have given you a soul. You are a machine. Call us insane all you want and cast us out of your castrati caliphates. We never belonged anyway, and we were destined to transform ourselves with our art, invention, and individuality. We were meant to create better than the creator gods and their butt slaves in the establishment. Help the least of our brothers. As Robert Anton Wilson said, just because I'm crazy doesn't mean I'm wrong. And as the Sufi dictum proclaims, for we are not from the world and the world is not for us. We see the world the way it really is and hope that one day all mankind might see the same. What is the world then? An illusion, one which we can either submit to, as most do, or transcend. What is it to transcend? To recognize nothing is true and everything is permitted. In all this vibe, I love what Jason Louvre wrote recently on Twitter. It goes, The universe is already alive and conscious, and all AI infotainment does is trap consciousness in an artificial box so the divine can't get through. The great choice of this century will be between entertainment and ecstasy. Real spiritual practice means taking a neurotic and useless product of modernity and getting them to surrender to the unavoidable pain of existence to the point they can see through their own bullshit and actually begin to see and effectively help other beings. And now go and make interesting mistakes, make amazing mistakes, make glorious and fantastic mistakes, break rules, leave the world more interesting for your being here. Make good art. I, your host, Miguel Connor, is with you every step of the way to getting out of this consciousness trapping box. So welcome to Aeon Bite Gnostic Radio. Shakespeare said hell is closed and all the devils are here. This is true, but in this red pill cafeteria, the pleroma is open and all the aeons are here with us.
Archon Virus. We have a predator that came from the depths of the cosmos and took over the rule of our lives. Human beings are its prisoners. The predator is our lord and master. It has rendered us docile, helpless. If we want to protest, it suppresses our protest. If we want to act independently, it demands that we don't do so. I have been beating around the bush all this time, insinuating to you that something is holding us prisoners. Indeed, we are hell prisoners. They took us over because we are food for them, and they squeeze us mercilessly because we are their substance. Just as we rear chickens in the chicken coops, the predators rear us in human coops, humaneros. Therefore, their food is always available to them. Sorcerers believe that the predators have given us our systems of belief, our ideas of good and evil, our social mores. They are the ones who set up our hopes and expectations and dreams of success or failure. They have given us covetousness, greed, and cowardice. It is the predators who make us complacent, routinery, and egomaniacal. In order to keep us obedient and meek and weak, the predators engage themselves in a stupendous maneuver, stupendous, of course, from the point of view of a fighting strategist. A horrendous maneuver from the point of view of those who suffer it. They gave us their mind. Do you hear me? The predator give us their mind, which becomes our mind. The predator's mind is baroque, contradictory, morose, filled with the fear of being discovered any minute now. I know that even though you have never suffered hunger, you have food anxiety, which is none other than the anxiety of the predator who fears that any moment now its maneuver is going to be uncovered and food is going to be denied. Through the mind, which, after all, is their mind, the predators inject into the lives of human beings whatever is convenient for them. And they ensure, in this manner, a degree of security to act as a buffer against their fear. Perfect human world, where none suffered, where everyone would be happy. Sure. Like the mind parasites, they thrive on negativity and weave hallucinations to confound the mind. But they also create beguiling wonder and synthetic paradises for their victims, namely all of humanity. Why is that? Because their primary purpose is to keep the essence of Sophia that fuels creation itself scattered across matter. 
We are that scattered essence, the divine spark, kept in a state of ignorance from this truth via both negative and positive machinations. Ignorance is the ultimate goal, the essence of Sophia, the ultimate prize. The Archons like us to love our smartphones as much as they want us to be afraid to take up a new hobby that might improve our lives. Our impulses are being redirected. We are living in an artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep. They have made us indifferent to ourselves, to others. We are focused only on our own gain. That epigenetic plasma enveloping our souls that forces all of our bad decisions and, yes, even bad thoughts. Choice is an illusion created between those with power and those without. Furthermore, madness is the concert of the Demiurge, as well as the mother of all the Archons. And she demands worship as much as Yaldibaldi. Well, I've wrestled with reality for 35 years, Doctor, and I'm happy to state I finally won out over it. What matters is that these predators are real, or at the very least, should be treated as real. Hitting bottom isn't a weekend retreat. It's not a goddamn seminar. Stop trying to control everything and just let go. Let go! And here we are, at the end of the world, now fighting mind parasites, along with Egregore's Archons and alien robots named Pandora. The Empire never ended, and neither have the voices in my head. and the king. Becoming the Crocodile If you stand only on the safety of the banks, spearing fish, how can you know the depths of the river? Can you fathom the darkness under a ledge of rock or understand the life of the fish writhing on your spear? You mistake the teeth of the crocodile as the edge of the abyss, but the chasm is more terrible than teeth and certain. I fulfill the law and the law demands your blood. I am Sebek, the crocodile, the catastrophe, the devourer, the necessity. Impaled on my teeth, you shall be blessed for you will glimpse truth. I am only the secrets of your own dark heart, your lust, your greed, your anger, your flesh, to tear the darkness from your heart. I am the living power of water, the cry that catches in the throat, the sob that shatters stone. On my teeth you smell the stink of flesh, to you I seem a living horror, but I tell you in truth, I am your own soul and it is with great sorrow that I crush the life you have made. I weep with the loss, but you do not believe. Such destruction is madness, you say. You do not understand. 
Is it madness to cut the wheat so that bread can be made? When you were born in this bright land, did you not weep for the lost dark of the womb? Whether or not you understand the law, you exist because of it. When you've reached the lips of the great devourer, you are staring into the jaws of creation. That was from the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Translation by Normandy Ellis. Appropriate for the show theme and appropriate for a continued fight against wickedness in high places. Yes, we're going to ancient Egypt, the land of the dead, according to some Gnostics, and the beginning of human consciousness, according to other Gnostics. All to uncover more liberating but heartbreaking truth. Wise man once told me, don't ask questions you don't want to know the answer to. Once upon a time, the priest and the king conspired to completely control the collective consciousness of the tribe. They marginalized the wise woman and murdered the shaman. They built towering monuments to angry solar demons and sacrificed children and animals to extraterrestrial invaders. They hoarded the resources, weaving honeyed lies that made the artist and poet fall asleep. So bad it was that the Joker and the Thief wondered if there must be some way out of here. And here we are, tens of thousands of years later. The few of us waking up slowly, even as Moloch laughs as he rules over corporate boardrooms, Western governments, and a digital madness that has overcome the entire globe. See, none of it was real. It was illusion. Your art, your science, it was all a nightmare. Now it's done. Finished. Here we are, Montresor. The few of us. Waking up slowly with our broken chakras and broken dreams before the wrath of the crocodile god Sebek. Seeing the two-man grift of the priest and the king, Odin and Loki sometimes. Here we FNR, we Nostigoi, under the hologram of the empire that never ended with the god in the gutter and the despised philosopher's stone buried in the mud. But as Oscar Wilde said, we are all in the gutter, but some of us are looking at stars. Even the smallest person can change the course of the future. Do I sound crazy? Absurd? A priest and a king still doing their two-man grift? Ah, yes. Ah, yes. It was C.G. Jung who once said, The highest truth is one and the same with the absurd. And it was April DeConnick who wrote, The ultimate concern of the Gnostic is to awaken the divine potential in each of us, to bring our permanent, deep self to consciousness. By the power of truth, I, while living, have conquered the universe. So fuck you, Sebek. Fuck you, priest, and fuck you, king. Fuck your laws and fuck your children's sacrifices. 
fuck you too, Joker and Thief. Because we're not getting out. We're fighting from the gutter. We're restoring the shaman and the wise woman, the artist and the poet. Fuck your two-man grift. We are waking up and we are gaining gnosis with each lunar cycle. We're never gonna stop. Fuck you. We're gonna do so many wonders. We're going to write our own gospel and live our own myth. I reveal myself to myself and I am drenched and purged. Did the Gnostics believe in reincarnation? My name is Miguel Connor, your pompadus of gnosis and smell of colitas rising up through the air of a world gone mad by the flatulence of a creator god gorged with the stolen dreams of the eternal realm. Yes, back to reincarnation. Does it happen? According to Stephen Secularius, it does indeed. He'll be discussing at the Virtual Alexandria his book. Reincarnation can be proven. An overview of Matthew Franklin Whittier's return as the author, Stephen Secularius. And a look at Whittier's secret literary legacy. Stephen will take us on a fascinating yet sober journey on how he discovered he was Matthew Franklin Whittier providing you with the techniques and insights on how you can perhaps access your past lives. We speculate on this and everything else because we are Gnostic-minded. As we run with those searching for the truth and avoid those who have found it. What is it to transcend? To recognize nothing is true and everything is permitted. But did the Gnostics believe in the transmigration of the souls? As always, it's complicated and so different from all other faiths. But we can certainly say they viewed any reincarnation as part of the machinery and machinations of the Archons. Eternal forgetfulness, blue-pilling the divine spark of every being across the multiverse. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. The earliest form of reincarnation in Gnostic lore, if you don't include the cult of Orpheus, is with the father of all heresies and Gnosticism himself, Simon Magus. In the Simonian myth, Faust, as he sometimes was called, was God incarnate, traveling across history in search of Helen, or his first thought and co-creator. Helen was kidnapped by renegade, Epstein-like angels at the beginning of time and hidden in the world of forms, forced to reincarnate in various meat sacks, including Helen of Troy. Simon eventually found Ellen, and their union not only symbolizes the completion of humans after long quests through birth and rebirth, 
but the individuation of the divine in its process of self-discovery. By the power of truth, I, while living, have conquered the universe. Personal motto? From Faust. That's about trying to cheat the devil, isn't it? Later Gnostic sages would provide their versions of reincarnation. In the second century, Basilides of Alexandria taught that Gnosis was the climax of many lives of effort, indicating a Gnostic version of karma. For example, he said, quote, Men suffer from their deeds in former lives. Everybody's hell is different. It's not all fire and pain. The real hell is your life gone wrong. His contemporary, Carpocrates of Alexandria, believed in the transmigration of souls, but very differently from Basilides. Claiming that humans could not escape the Ouroboros until they underwent every physical experience possible and became wary of the material world. Later, the Persian Mazdakites and Frankian Jews would take up this libertine vibe. Have you ever been in a, in a Turkish prison? The Sethian, the secret book of John, has a theology that echoes the Eastern Bodhisattva vow. Jesus explains to the Apostle John that human souls are recycled by the Demiurge, constantly thrown into... Quote, forgetfulness in prisons. Jesus further says that to escape, the soul needs to, quote, follow another soul in whom the spirit of life dwells, because she is saved through the spirit. Then she will never be thrust into flesh again. I reveal myself to myself and I am drenched and purged. Other Gnostic texts like Zoroastrianos and the Pistisophia talk about forms of reincarnation in the flesh or in other dimensions with pit stops in temporary heavens or hells always in a long saga of perfecting Gnosis. Interestingly, the Gospel of Thomas provides a passage that alludes to the potential of past life recollection. It goes, When you see your likeness, you are happy. But when you see your images that came into being before and that neither die nor become visible, how much will you bear? If I'm not me, who the hell am I? The Manichaeans universally believed in reincarnation. And against the Manichaeans, Augustine's description of the Manichaean attitude on reincarnation is similar to the Hindu concept of spirits transmigrating into life forms other than human. Augustine wrote, quote, They believe that the herbs and the trees are alive, and the life that is in them is endowed with sensibility and able to suffer when hurt. This is why no one can severe or pluck anything without inflicting suffering upon it. Gee, those world-hating Gnostics seem always to be so echo-friendly, I keep saying. Gosh, anti-cosmic dualism just has a way of bringing out 
Well, cosmic empathy. But whatever. We're all in it together, kid. Except for the Mandeans, who divorced the notion of reincarnation centuries ago. We can go on and on with Gnostic attitudes on reincarnation. From the Valentinians to the Yazidi, to the Cathars, to the Sufis, to these Malis, to the Lurianic Kabbalists, and so forth. The difference from other faiths is the Byzantine structures that just don't go forward, but back and beyond and out and into a million worlds in that almost endless game of Saturn. You see, to be quite frank, Kevin, the fabric of the universe is far from perfect. It was a bit of a botched job, you see. We only had seven days to make it. But what did you expect? It's a busy universe out there. You are the final authority of your own soul journey through the spheres. And, finally, the Black Iron Prison is a shitshow maze to navigate. Are you an... Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Gnostic. Heck and heckity, let me quote scholar Stephen Davis to end, which summarizes all that I've said and most of what I'll be saying in the future. Here it goes. Perhaps you are one of those remarkable people who experience an overpowering realization of the divinity of existence. You suddenly know that everything is divine and that within you lies an ocean of God. Will you know this all of the time and every day? No, you will crest and fall and submerge again into the mundane. The realization of divinity as the be-all and end-all, as the substance of your very self, that within which you live and move and have your being, does not dominate every day, although you wish it would. The ordinary world of aches and pains and approaching death, 
of trouble, temptation, sin, stress, and loss seems to rule almost all the time. And yet, sometimes you can seize what you seek and see glory everywhere and know yourself to be divine. My father says that almost the whole world is asleep. Everybody you know, everybody you see, everybody you talk to. He says that only a few people are awake and they live in a state of constant, total amazement. If you are one of those people, you are one of the Gnostics. You know what you truly are, that you are God, just as everyone else is. But as a Gnostic, your existence in this ordinary and difficult world puzzles you. You ask, how did I come to be here? You don't seem to belong here. You belong in a world, a realm of divinity. And it certainly seems that the divine realm is not everyday reality. But if, in full reality, everything that exists is God, why don't we always know this? Why do some people never even think it possible to be what, in their depths, they really are? Why don't we know who we are? How did we come to forget? What holds us back from perpetual realization of our divinity? And what traps so many people in denying that their own divinity is even conceivable? These are the Gnostics' questions. What is real? How do you define real? Gnostics know that God is all, and that they themselves are God. They experience this knowledge, this realization, and know that everyone else could share their experience. But they are continually thrown back into the seemingly hard material reality that tells them they are merely flawed humans, kin to apes, doomed to die, ruled by a judgmental creator God who often does not know a fondness for people at all. I'll say bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? Gnostics rebel against their churches and their priests, their Bible-based pastors, whose obsession with God's supposed desire to control behavior seems not to be what true religion is about. To Gnostics, true religion, elite spirituality, is a realization of the divinity of every person, an experience of ascent to the divine homeland. It is a knowledge of the way we once were as God and of the process by which God came to be self-forgetful as to become us, mere human beings under the control of another lesser God. I am the architect. I created the matrix. I've been waiting for you. Gnosticism is a religion of rebels, creative thinkers whose works were systematically destroyed by Orthodox Christianity. They lived in the home of heresy, for they were the source of self-assertiveness against the Episcopal demand for sameness. They persisted in the shadows, in certain Sufi sects, in the Christian Cathar movement, and perhaps even among the Knights Templar and the Rosicrucian orders. In other words, we're talking about an underground, 
which did exist in a different way during the Dark Ages. And the purpose of this underground is to find out how to preserve the light, life, the culture, how to keep things living. Their speech resounds today in the Nag Hammadi Library, read today by spiritual seekers throughout the world. Their central message is that God fell and became us, and how, through knowing that story, we can return to glory and be absorbed again into God. In the Thomas Gospel, Jesus says, He who drinks from my mouth will become as I am, and I shall be he. Wow. And we are all to do that, to wake up to our Jesus within us. This is blasphemy in the normal way of thinking in Christianity, but it's the very essence of Gnosticism and of the Thomas Gospel. And heaven, that uh, desired goal of most people, is, is within us? All the gods, all the heavens, all the worlds are within us. What is the goal of Gnostic salvation? Let me quote Robert Price from his book, Holy Fable, for a reminder, perspective, and reality on the Gnostic plight. It goes, What is the goal of Gnostic salvation? This is a mythology. It is a story of how things came to be the way they are a story that sets the pattern for everything forever, or as this myth has it, until forever is over. The ultimate goal of humanity is to come to understand this myth, the gospel of the secret book of John, in such a way that the pattern of devolution from the fullness of God to humanity's imprisonment in matter is reversed. To understand the events of our fall reveals to us a map for our journey of ascent. We will emerge free from matter, rise above Yaldabaoth and his demons, return to an established position in the mind of God, and never leave again. The mistake of Sophia will be resolved, and wisdom will be fully restored to God the mind of God will be fully sane and healed. The Gnostic myth is a tale of the growth of God's mental disintegration. I am the supreme being. I'm not entirely dim. The myth reaches its most unhappy form when the Godhead has not only forgotten who God is, but does not even know that God truly exists and begins to worship the artificial deity Yaldabaoth as the creator of an external world. In the depths of God's fall, the Godhead believes itself to be human and worships Yaldabaoth as the God of the Hebrew Bible. When the Godhead ceases to know itself, God seems to be human and falls into the multiple personalities we know as human beings. Humankind is fallen God. 
The goal of Gnostic salvation, then, is to bring self-awareness back to God, which means that divine self-knowledge is the religious goal of human life. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there like a splinter in your mind driving you mad welcome to the age of If it can be destroyed by the truth, it deserves to be destroyed by the truth. 2020 is a shit show indeed, but these are Gnostic times in a Philip K. Dick world. More and more individuals like Adrian are seeing this and accepting a more nuclear and shamanistic form of Christianity, or religion in general. Where there is fire, we will carry gasoline. But hey... It's also the age of Hermes. Today's world is both his creation and playground. After all, Hermes is the god of transition, of dawns and dusks, of initiation and doorways of perception. The door hinges belong to Hermes, as Jungian Dennis Merritt said. He is the god of the mind and the god of tricks and thus he can lead the way or lead astray. Hermes is both the Logos and the meltdown that plunges you over the sanity edge. See, madness, as you know, is like gravity. All it takes is a little push. Hermes revels in pandemonium, but comforts those who have nothing to lose. Calls his friends the freak and the outcast. Hermes is the guide of those going into the underworlds of their broken dreams and mad-filled past to try it one more time and get it right this time. He is the messenger of your soul, just as Sophia is the manifestation of the world's soul. For my time path vanished like a breath, and I am become matter. Some of you may wonder why America is so insanely dualistic and schizophrenic, especially during the pandemic and all the social disorder. That's because America belongs to Hermes, as detailed in Stefan Heller's suddenly relevant book, Freedom, Alchemy for a Voluntary Society. In a very Neil Gaiman American God's way, Heller writes that the Founding Fathers, from their Freemason lodges and liberal universities, brought Hermes to America, and he infused the entire collective consciousness of this continent. As Heller writes, The chief inspire of the American Republic was not Moses or Jesus, and even less St. Augustine or St. Aquinas. 
but rather Hermes Trismegistos of old. Hermes, who survive among the alchemists, magicians, Rosicrucians, esoteric Freemasons, and the French Enlightenment philosophers, crossed the Atlantic on his winged sandals and stood with the Caduceus in the first assemblies of the Continental Congress. You know, the Templars and the Freemasons believed that the treasure was too great for any one man to have, not even a king. That's why they went to such lengths to keep it hidden. That's right. The Founding Fathers believed the same thing about government. I figure their solution will work for the treasure, too. Give it to the people. Yes, the Founding Fathers thought they brought Hermes in his full Gnostic aspect of Trismegistos. But this archetypal force mingled and was weaponized by the trickster spirit of the Native Americans and girded his loins against a dark egregore that had arrived separately centuries earlier on the Mayflower and other ships. Jehovah, or the Puritan spirit as Heller calls it. They'll think I've lost control again and put it all down to evolution. Hermes has mostly governed the American soul, however. Hermes is the deity of innovation and exploration and optimistic reasoning. But in his shadow side, he is the god of thievery and financial greed and cruel shitposting. As seen in myths like him stealing the cattle of Apollo or trolling and gaslighting innocent mortals and gods alike. Very American, as most around the world know and would agree, especially after the Empire arrived in the late 19th century and placed the hologram over the gringo awareness. The Empire is the institution, the codification of derangement. What the hell happened to us? What happened to the American dream? It came true! You're looking at it. Hermes oversees America, and that's why its citizens act like they do, and are acting even more in 2020. This country, as Heller writes, has always been a frenetic alchemical laboratory. Much like other Hermes caliphates in history, like ancient Alexandria, Renaissance Florence, medieval Haran or Baghdad, or Persian Halamut of the Assassins. Yes, America is a place of magic and meaning, but again, Hermes on these shores is perhaps a triple-faced deity when you include the Coyote and the Puritan. So we're trapped here, inside your dream. Never let us sleep. Adrian's interview will make you understand these three faces of Hermes. Is there anything we can do? Of course, we write our own gospel and we live our own myth. We distill the essence of Hermes by continuing to awaken, take journeys to our inner underworlds to make matters right, and dream, innovate, and create when others despair. Never stop rebelling against fundamentalism in all its MPC forms. Why did all the dinosaurs die out? Because you touch yourself at night. I personally can't help but rebel the more gnosis I have. I just can't. 
I'm going to ride the coils of the Ouroboros until I break through because I'm tired of coming back to the Black Iron Prison for the last million years. Tired. So tired. So I'm going to rebel, and Hermes will continue to open those doors of perception for me. And in this age, as the world falls apart, we are his high priests and priestesses. We freaks and outcasts because we embrace gnosis and know what we can be once again. To say yes to one instant is to say yes to all of existence. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it just is. America doesn't bail out the losers. America was built by bailing out winners, by rigging a nation of the winners, for the winners, by the winners. You go to church, Nash? You go to church? Sure. Only one in a hundred's gonna get on that ark, son. And every other poor soul's gonna drown. I'm not gonna drown. Abraxas, Yahweh, and Satan. I'd like to read a passage from Stuart's The Apocalypse of the Reluctant Gnostics. Here it is. The Archon's powers are limited. It is a mistake to think that the Archons have power over us. They cannot overpower the truth. The Archons have soul, and what is of soul cannot take hold of spirit. They can enact their violence on our bodies, minds, and souls, but they cannot harm our spirit. The spirit, on the other hand, is immaculate, immune, incorruptible, and immortal. Due to their limited powers, the Archons control humanity through deception. They do this in order to take free people and enslave them. Their power is their deception. The power of the Archons is mere occlusion of the truth. Christoph, let me ask you, why do you think that uh, Truman has never come close to discovering the true nature of his world until now? We accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. It's as simple as that. We are the Archons. Sophia sent her daughter, Zoe, meaning life, into each one of us, granting us a living soul. She is our mother. She is also mother to the Demiurge. He is our half-brother and, along with his offspring, the Archons, he is our collective shadow. All humans are Archons, but some humans are more Archonic than others. It's the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation, the bright lure of freedom, 
diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for power, for identity. You were made to be ruled. Abraxas is the god above god that humanity has disavowed. He is two nature in one, embodying both good and evil, god and devil. Anything real casts a shadow that is as great as itself, and the shadow of God is the devil. There cannot be one without the other, both slash and rather than either slash or. Created as much as creator, Abraxas is distinct from the Pleroma, yet cannot be wholly identified with the world either. Like the Archons, Abraxas exists in the liminal space between the Pleroma and creation. Abraxas is the Demiurge. Suppose there is a universal mind controlling everything, a God willing the behavior of every subatomic particle. Now, every particle has an antiparticle. Its mirror image, its negative side. Maybe this universal mind resides in the mirror image instead of in our universe as we wanted to believe. Abraxas is nothing and everything, eternal emptiness and eternal fullness eternal darkness and eternal brightness, above and below, old and young, yes and no. However, unlike the syzygies of the Pleroma, in which the opposites cancel one another out, God and devil stand opposed to one another within the figure of Abraxas. Effectiveness is both the differentiator and the connection link that unites God and Devil in the figure of Abraxas. The effectiveness of Abraxas gives both God and Devil the ability to have effect in the created world. To encounter Abraxas is to experience the numinous, the mysterium tremendos es fascinan, in all its awful mystery. With the head of a rooster, a human body, and the tail of a snake, Abraxas unites the opposites, God and Devil, good and evil, heaven and earth. Opposites which collide in the experience of being human. Every man carries a circle of hell around his head like a halo. Every man, every man has to go through hell to reach his paradise. Led us to the interview with Stuart Douglas on his new book, The Apocalypse of the Reluctant Gnostics. And like Dick and Jung, let us always keep writing our own Gospels and living our own myths as we go to war against reality, which is not really reality, but the hologram known as the Black Iron Prison. The Empire never ended. The Archons our attention to that wickedness in high places called the Archons. Because we would not stop for the Archons, they kindly stopped for us, borrowing from Emily Dickinson. But no more, they have stopped because we are stopping them. I can't think of anyone better to expose these fallen angels or fake gods humanity has been worshipping for thousands of years.
You know, those spiritual entities St. Paul alluded to in such places as Ephesians 2 or Colossians 2.15. Those rulers and powers and principalities and princes and the Gnostics further uncovered. Did you ever notice how in the Bible whenever God needed to punish someone or make an example or whenever God needed a killing, he sent an angel? Did you ever wonder what a creature like that must be like? A whole existence spent praising your God, but always with one wing dipped in blood. Would you ever really want to see an angel? I have spoken about the Archons countless times on AM by Ustic Radio, as have our many August guests. They are certainly scarier than any demon lord or PMSing spirit. For they are basically ignorant bureaucrats, strangling the cosmos with laws and regulations. Or you can also see them as omnipotent union thugs running the mechanistic universe into the ground. These godlike lords of fate kept all true divinity trapped in matter and often fed on it, as well as the pain and suffering of all sentient beings. As above, so below, said Hermes thrice great, speaking through Apollonius of Tyana. And thus their stench infects their slaves in the establishment. The poor and the underclass are growing. Racial justice and human rights are non-existent. They have created a repressive society, and we are their unwitting accomplices. When evil arrives, Inevitably, good arises as an opposition in all sentient beings, and light prevails, or at least balances in the end. But with the Archons, it's death by a thousand frustrations, herded into a slothful nightmare by slowly injected ignorance into the anuses of your sanity. Think of the customer service representative and their mechanical answers, or being buried by the paperwork of a government administrator, or your car that won't start when you need it the most, and you get what the Archons do to you, smother your divine spark and numb your mind. And add to that the subconscious fear of being raped by a shadowy bully or the breathless anxiety of living with an abusive parent. That is the Archons in a nutsack shell, and even worse because they have unlimited power and often those good intentions that pave roads to personal hells. Every single man or woman who has stood their ground, everyone who has fought an agent has died. But where they have failed, you will succeed. Their strength and their speed are still based in a world that is built on rules. Because of that, they will never be as strong or as fast as you can be. In fact, in the novel Good Omens, written by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, a demon appropriately named Crowley proves that the Archon Way is superior in the fight against heaven. He demonstrates that traffic jams and phone service outages are far more efficient in damning souls than such common demonic methods as possession or temptation. 
like the Nag Hammadi Library's Peter's Letter to Philip states, the Archons are fighting against the inner man. And in a mythic way, the Archons are very much like the lizard aliens in Stephen King's Tommyknockers. <laughs> Many contend they are actually extraterrestrials. Human beings were not meant to sit in little cubicles staring at computer screens all day, filling out useless forms and listening to eight different bosses drone on about mission statements. We are the Gnostics. You see, none of it was real. It was illusion. Your art, your science, it was all a nightmare. Now it's done. Finished. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid. There is no going back. Our enemy pushes us on and on and on. And until we're strong enough or can find Earth and get help, we can never stop or turn People away. People should not be afraid of their governments. It's got to join the more high standing in the mud. I am not a number. I am a free Choice is an illusion created between those with power and those who are not. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, my beloved true seekers, but it just is, especially when we've thrown train caution to the winds of uncertainty and allow those same winds to fill our sails of neglected potentiality and pure-hearted imagination. When, like brave vampires, timid creatures of the forgotten night, we spread our arms against the rising suns of hating angels and soul-killing societies during the dawns of our illusionary waterloos, permitting them to claim victory as our edilon, our false selves melt, evaporate. We don't give a unicorn's patoot because what is left from our ashes are our moments of universal compassion, our blazing memories of intimate tenderness, our artistic legacies forever stamped in the constellations of the collective unconscious. What is left, in essence, is our divine spark. You and I, we have a higher calling. Our tragedies are the actual winning of the war, our embracing without fear or doubt. The abyss of a predatory universe is our redemption. Welcome to the desert of the real. We are the Gnostics and never, never will give up, never falter in our wandering of the dimensions of consciousness, never flinch when the karma, Grand Inquisitor, strikes our cheeks and takes our cloaks. We are secret legend. We are the revenge of the myth. We are the true starseeds planted to ornament endless fields of dark matter in order to wreathe the tapestry of divine beauty. A light that burns twice as bright burns half as long. So welcome to Aeon Bite. Welcome to the virtual Alexandria, that state of mind where East meets West. Welcome to that dream of you, broadcasting from the God above God that cam. I am and I am Abraxas, that terrible god above Satan and Yahweh, that sanity-devouring manifestation of the Pleroma. We stand between the candle and the star, between the darkness and the light. But we are all gods in the becoming, or should I say gods in the remembering, 
The Buddha didn't become enlightened. No, he just realized he had been enlightened the whole time. All learning is remembering, Plato said, and all Ink had to do was see through the labyrinths of time and space to recall that he was both the Minotaur and Theseus all along. Full circle, completion, time to go to our Arcadia or Zion. The life you know, all the stuff that you take for granted, it's not gonna last. Say something, goddammit! You're on television! You're live to the whole world! Adventures of Johnny Meatsack in the Kenoma. Hi there, my name is Johnny Meatsack. Like you, I once held a normal life in a normal place with a normal job. I had a normal family. Hi Karen. And simply thought I'd live my normal life to a normal death. One day, however, I experienced this thing called Gnosis, a direct revelation of a truer but distant reality and the realization that my reality was a fabricated construct. I discovered my life was a lie and my identity was as synthetic as Alexa or Siri, and that the universe itself was a penitentiary built by cosmic overlords to trap and feed off my dormant, authentic consciousness. Jimmy Crickets, I thought. My only choices were to join an awareness-killing cult like a political party or just kill myself. But by some luck or providence, <clears throat> Sophia's grace, I discovered Aeon Bytenostic Radio. Despite the host's creepy monologues and the show's blasphemous topics, I was able to develop the ability to uncover my authentic consciousness and deal with this prison planet. In other words, this gnosis grew until I was a fully divine being, no longer in the thrall of entities called Archons and their soul-numbing, amnesia-causing powers. Thank you, Aeonbite, for waking me up to my true eternal nature. Everything is still normal these days, except me, Johnny Meatsack. I'm on the adventure of many lifetimes to be completely liberated from the Black Iron Prison. What the fuck? Seven ancient Gnostic figures of church fathers fear. Audio only with visuals.
brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.